Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. We are so glad you're here. My name's Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And when I say we're so glad you're here, we really mean that, because whether you're in the room or online, every week we have new people who come here to the church, which is really awesome. It's something that's happened every week since the church began. New people every Sunday coming through the doors. Many stay, some don't, and that's okay. But we, we love that, and we want everyone to feel welcome here, so much so that we, we take great pains in all that we do to make sure that the experience that people have is a comfortable one. And now when I say that, I, that might bristle with some of us because sometimes we think, well, if, if I'm going to meet with God and he's going to confront me about some of my issues, then shouldn't I be uncomfortable? Yeah, that's, that's actually the point. What we hope in making it comfortable for all of us and, and, and maybe even kind of cool, not that being cool is the point, but it is cool. I mean, we got Jesus on guitar, right? Did you see him? He's here today. But we want to make it cool because we want to make it comfortable and fun because here's the point, like the gospel is offensive enough. The gospel offends us enough. The good news of Jesus, and that might seem like a a strange statement that the good news is offensive to us, but it's true. And I want to talk about that just a little bit as to why it can be offensive to us and what God's goal in doing some offensive or saying some offensive things to us might be. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We'll put the words up on the screen. You can read along that way. And if you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible, we want you to have one. And so before you leave today, out this garage door that will slide open here, there'll be someone at the information table who will get a Bible into your hand. So if you don't have a Bible because you don't own one, we, we have one for you that you can take home with you. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, we get a picture of why this good news of Jesus, this, this message that God sent his son to the earth to, to take on our sins to then die for our sins and to raise from the dead so that we could live a victorious life through Jesus. This this message can be offensive. And here are some of the reasons why. In verse 8, it says, for by grace or or, or God's relentless kindness towards us, his intentional moving towards us when we wanted nothing to do with him, by grace you have been saved through faith. That's an offensive statement in itself because it assumes that I need saved from something. It assumes I need rescued. It assumes I need help. Now, some of us, maybe if you're like me, you don't like help with things. You like to, you like to do things on your own. You like to do it yourself. Well, the Bible tells us that when it comes to our salvation, we have nothing to do with that. When I say salvation, what I mean is, and the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians 
gives us a picture of this in chapter 1 and in the preceding verses in chapter 2 where he describes this work that God does that we call salvation, this work of him saving us. It's like we've actually been rescued from what he calls darkness into light. He, he uses words like we've been brought back to life from the dead. It's as though we were walking around living as dead people that God has given us new life. And this is kind of a mystery. And unless you've actually experienced that, you really don't understand what it feels like. You, you really don't know uh, how to explain it. But, but for those of us who have experienced that, Jesus having brought us out of darkness and placed us into light, having raised us from the death that we lived in, in our sins, those of us who have experienced that can say, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like being brought to life from the dead. It feels like being placed out of the darkness and into God's great light. By grace, you've been saved. You've been rescued through your faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That too is an offensive statement because it tells us that there's nothing we have done to get to where we are in our relationship with God. It tells us that there's nothing we can do to have a relationship with God. And so that can be offensive. And it goes on to say in verse 9, not a, a result of works so that no one may boast. See, God's goal is that we can't say at any time that we had anything to do with our right standing with God. It was all his work. He initiated it. It was, it was his idea, his plan. And all we have to do is believe, which is a pretty great deal. It's a story and a truth that is too good to be true, but it's so good, no human could have made it up. It had to come from heaven. Our salvation, our rescue from sin through God's own doing and nothing of our own was all his idea and all his plan. And he goes on to say this in verse 10, we are his workmanship. We're his. He's crafted us and created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want to focus on that phrase today, that we are his workmanship. And, and, and the word workmanship, it, the Greek word is where we actually get our word poem from. And so it, it denotes any kind of thing that an artist would create. It, it was used in ancient Greek to describe poetry, to describe Art. So if we think about God in this way as a master artist or a master sculptor, if you will, who, who comes to us and molds us and shapes us and, and makes us his workmanship. One translation says that we are, in fact, his masterpiece. God is creating each one of us into individual, unique, and wonderful pieces of art. If I were to give a title to this message today, based on that, it would be, I'm a piece of work. You're a piece of work. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are, we are so thankful that we are your pieces of work, that your loving, intentional, and, and careful hands come and have shaped us. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to get a greater understanding of that today, how you love to shape us, you love to make us after the image of your son, and that all we do is come alongside you and submit 
to the work that you're doing as you make us into something beautiful for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this truth that we are God's workmanship is kind of twofold. So on one hand, there's a lot of work for us to do in our lives. We're all works in progress. Would you agree with that? I don't know anyone here who's perfect. Some of you are close. Some of you are close to being perfect, but I don't know anyone who's actually perfect yet. But from God's perspective, when he sees us as his workmanship, what happens when when we become followers of Jesus, when we receive his salvation through grace by our faith, when we believe in him, what happens to us is we are instantly recreated spiritually. He's not just recycling us. He's not just repairing us. He's not just modifying our behavior. He actually makes us what the Bible calls new creations. Jesus described this to a religious leader in his day as an experience that he called being born again. Have you heard that phrase before? That, that's, that's what happens to us. It's like we are literally remade on the inside. So from God's perspective, when he looks at us, he sees a complete and perfect and recreated masterpiece who is in his son Jesus. Multiple times in chapter one and chapter two of the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes that we are in Christ. What he's saying is this, is that that since we're in Jesus, we're in Christ, everything that is true about Jesus, that he is the righteous one, that he is God's beloved son, that he is holy, everything that's true of him because we're in him is true of us. Not because we are those things, but because he is and God places us in him so that when he looks at us, he sees his son Jesus. We're complete. We're perfect in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. This sets us free from having to worry if God's mad at us all the time. This sets us free from having to worry what other people think about the things that we've done. What other people have to say about us? Because what God has to say about us, when he looks at me and he says, that's my beloved son, Joe, in whom I'm well pleased. So don't mess with me. (laughs) Says the same thing of you. We're his beloved in whom he's well pleased because he looks at us through the lens of his perfect and holy and righteous son, Jesus. So we are already his masterpiece. Now, that's from his perspective. From our perspective, it's a little bit different. When we look in the mirror every day, I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only one who will look in the mirror and see things about myself that I'm like, I wish this would change. I I, I wish I could grow a little bit in this area. I wish I was a little bit different. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I didn't have to ask for forgiveness so much. Can you relate to that? From our perspective, that's how it is. From God's perspective, we're clean, we're free, we're completely his. From our perspective, there's a whole lot of work to do. And he's still working on us. But we're his workmanship. So what that means is he's the one who comes along and molds us and shapes us like a wonderful sculptor, like a a master artist creating us after a vision that he has for our lives. Now, I wish that when we got saved 
when we became followers of Jesus, we were just instantly made perfect. Wouldn't that be awesome? We just didn't have to struggle with our, with our failures. Or we didn't have to struggle with sins. We were just perfect right away. But God doesn't do that to us, and that makes me a little upset. But, and I wonder sometimes, God, why wouldn't you just make us perfect? If that's your goal for us eventually in heaven, why wouldn't you do that? And I, I have some theories as to why God doesn't just make us instantly perfect, and I want to share those theories. Uh, I don't get these from the Bible, so just know that, that I didn't take these theories from the Bible. They're just my ideas. You can believe them if you want to or not. Maybe you'll have some theories of your own, but I, I think that maybe God doesn't make us perfect right away because who would want to be around us <laughs> if we were so perfect can you imagine that? No one would want to come to a church where everybody was perfect. I know churches where everybody thinks they're perfect and nobody wants to go there. If he made us instantly perfect, no one would want to be around us. How would we be able to reach people? Isn't it wonderful to know that when we're in the midst of our faults and our failures and our struggles, we can look around and see other people who aren't perfect and know, wow, if they have a relationship with God, if they can connect with him, if they can see his truth... And they can, they can feel close to him. I can too. There's hope for us in that he doesn't make us instantly perfect. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think another reason why he doesn't make us instantly perfect is that if we were instantly perfect, we would quickly forget just how much we need him. Oh, if I never, never failed, if I never fell down, if I never stumbled, I wouldn't even know how much he loves me because I wouldn't have to keep going back to him. I wouldn't have to, so often when we drift away from him, we think that God is so far away. The whole time, even when we travel off into, into waywardness and sin, all we have to do, the Bible calls it repent, is the word the Bible uses to describe it. And it literally just means turn around. And when we do, bam, he's right there. He's there the whole time. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, no matter what we do, and if we were perfect, we wouldn't realize that, just how he's constantly with us. If, if we became instantly perfect, we would forget how much we need God, and the relationship he wants with his people is one of trust and submission, knowing that he's the one who holds us all together. Jesus said to his closest 12 friends, we call them the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, these are the men who, who started the church. These are the men who literally, as the Roman authorities of their day said, have turned the world upside down. If there was anybody who, who understood what it was to follow Jesus, who understood what it was to live in God's power, it was these men. And Jesus said to them, without me, you can do nothing. We have to have him. I think that's why he doesn't make us perfect right away because he, he wants us to remember that we need him. And so what do we do with all of this as we, as we kind of struggle through our life wondering, like, how, how am I going to become more like your son Jesus? Well, all we can do is submit to his work and realize that he's consistently and continually using the circumstances of life, sometimes other people, to shape and mold us after his image. And because we're works in progress, sometimes the work that he's doing is a little bit difficult. When a sculptor is crafting a piece of art, whether it's from stone or from wood, they have to carve pieces away. 
They have to, to chisel pieces away. Sometimes when, when God works on us as the, the master artist or sculptor that he is, he's cutting things away and he's, he's chiseling things away and it can feel like a loss and it can, it can be painful, quite frankly, sometimes. And many times when things like this are happening, we give a whole lot of credit to the devil. We give a whole lot of credit to Satan. When trouble comes our way, many times the first thing that we'll do is say, Satan is attacking me, which could be true because the Bible tells us there's an enemy of our souls. His name is Satan, which literally means he's our adversary, the one who accuses us before God, the one who categorizes us and and says that we're not God's masterpieces. He wants to lie to us. And when when we believe those lies... He can't attack us, but we give him an awful lot of credit because the Bible would also tell us that what happened when Jesus died on the cross, if you can imagine this, Jesus is being nailed to the cross and Satan doesn't know the end of the story yet. So he sees the son of God being nailed to the cross and he's probably rejoicing. In fact, I can imagine all of hell rejoicing that God's son has been killed because the demons, the Bible would tell us, knew who Jesus was. They realized that he was God's son. And so when they see him get killed, they throw the biggest party you can ever imagine. They believe that they've won. And we know the story. We celebrated it a few weeks ago on that first Easter Sunday, just three days later after they'd laid Jesus in the tomb and sealed it with a heavy stone. Somehow, miraculously, that stone was rolled away and the dead body of Jesus came back to life and walked out of the grave. And when he walked out of the grave, not only did he say, I'm victorious over sin, but he said, I'm victorious over Satan as well. And so while there is an enemy of our souls, he truly has no power over us because Jesus defeated him when he came back to life. So we give the devil an awful lot of credit when sometimes what's happening to us is maybe God is just molding us, carving us, sculpting us. Sometimes when an artist is at work, what they'll do is they will, they will add pieces to their work, maybe a piece of clay. Maybe they're painting something and they're adding colors to it. And sometimes God will have to add things to our lives. And it might feel like pressure. It might feel like difficulty. It, it, it might feel like he's adding things that we never wanted. Have you ever prayed for God to give you patience? And then all of a sudden he adds things in your life that test your patience. <laughs> we, we want the instant quick fix, but God is all about the tender, loving, intentional work that happens over time. Many times in the process of crafting a work of art, the room, the studio that this occurs in gets messy. There's wood shavings or pieces of stone, paint all over the place. I say uh, of here at Renaissance that the cutting room floor here is just full of good ideas. All of them mine. <laughs> they all end up on the cutting room floor, but they're all good. I kid, but, but it, it looks like a mess sometimes when an artist is at work because what they're, what they're doing, they're not focused on the mess that's around them. They're focused on the piece of art. And it gets a little messy sometimes. And that's sometimes what our lives look like. God is is molding us, shaping us, sculpting us. 
It looks a little messy. My favorite food, we take a far left turn here, but we're talking about art, so of course I would bring up food. My favorite food is gravy. Now, if we are friends, you know this. If, we're not friend, if you don't know that, we're probably not friends, and now you do. Now that we're friends, bring me gravy. It is my, it is my favorite food. Any kind of gravy, brown gravy, white gravy. I love sausage gravy. My mom makes this incredible sausage gravy with big, thick chunks of sausages in it and, and, and chunks of black pepper, and it's just a heart attack in a bowl. But it's... <laughs> It's amazing, and, and I'll put that stuff on anything, you know, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, a biscuit, ice cream. It goes on anything. I'll put it in a bowl and just eat it by itself. I love the gravy so much, and I remember the first time that I was going to make gravy myself. And th those of you who have made gravy just sighed deeply. So I text my mom, and I'm like, hey, I want to make some gravy. What do I need to do? So she's giving me the instructions, and so I'm following them. And so I heat up a pan, and I start to cook some meat in there. And okay, now it's ready to throw a little bit of flour into the grease. And you just keep stirring. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this does not look like gravy. This actually looks... Well, I won't go there, but it, it, doesn't look like, it doesn't look like gravy. So you, now, now you add just a little bit of milk. Okay, okay. I could see how maybe the milk could make a difference. What, is this how they make cottage cheese? And you just keep stirring and keep adding flour and keep adding milk. And you keep stirring. And before too long, you're like, I've wasted all of this flour and milk. And I'm wasting time. And my arm is tired from all the stirring that I'm doing. This is disgusting. I'm going to have to throw this food out. And then all of a sudden... Gravy. And I don't know what happens if there's like uh, some sort of chemical change that occurs as you're doing it. The Bible talks about how there was, they, the people believed there was a pool where an angel came down and touched his foot in the pool. And if you got in the pool after that, you got healed. I don't know if there's like an a gravy angel who comes and dips his foot in the pan and then all of a sudden you have gravy, but, but that's just what it is. It's just like all of a sudden, all of this disgusting mess that, that, that I've wasted time and, and I've wasted resources on, and it seems like we're going to have to throw it out. This is all worthless. And then all of a sudden, something beautiful comes out of it. Our lives are like that. So often we, we look at our life and we're like, this is such a mess, such a waste. I, I've wasted time and resources and we're going to have to throw it all away and it's all worthless. And we didn't realize God's just making gravy, baby. Just let him, just let him keep stirring and doing what he wants to do because he is making something beautiful out of us. But we resist it sometimes. We resist it because because we don't like the way it looks. And so we want to give up. We want to say, I'm not going any further. I'm not going to let you continue to do this, Lord, because it's too hard. Or we blame the devil. Or we blame other people. But what is happening is God's gentle, tender, and intentional hands are using the pressure and the difficulties of life to mold us and shape us and craft us into something beautiful. Now, he says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand. He says the purpose of us being, being shaped into the image of his son Jesus is that we would do his good will throughout the earth. If more of us were, were more concerned with letting God shape us and confront us and make us into the person that he wants us to be, we wouldn't be so upset and fearful about all that's going on around us. We also wouldn't be ignoring many of the things that are going on around us. See, many times when God comes to confront us, some of the things he will confront are our apathy about the difficulty of life that many experience. I heard somebody challenge me one time saying, you know, you care, you care a lot about that people don't go to hell when they die. And I do. I think that's really important. I think that's the most important thing. They said, but what about the hell that some people are living in here on earth? You really forget about that sometimes, Joe. I'm like, yeah, I do. you're right, I do. I do. So maybe God would confront some of us about those sorts of things. Maybe he would confront us about the fear that we live in, about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going what's to happen to our family, what's going to happen to our country. We can't live in fear over those things. Maybe he would confront us over these things because when he, when he comes to make us new, he, he wants to mold us and shape us into people who will do his good works on the earth. And he says that God prepared beforehand. Before we even got saved, it was his idea. But really, that's not even far enough back. It's before, before we were born. And that, that's not even far enough back. We, we, have, we have to go back to before God said, let there be light. You and I were, were ideas in his heart. He, he had a vision for each one of us that, that we would become like his son Jesus, who the Bible says went around doing good to everyone that he met. And so what do we do with that information? Because it is a little challenging and scary to consider that, that maybe, maybe the things that, that God is using, maybe the things occurring in my life, God is actually using them to shape me into the image of a son, which means I'm coming up short in some ways, which means I, I probably need to change my thinking, which means I, I might even need to change some of my behaviors. Sometimes they'll even confront us about sins that we're committing and we're ignoring and, and letting go. Sometimes he'll confront us about the way that we treat those around us. Sometimes he'll confront us about the way we care too much about what other people think about us, so much so that we live in comparison of other people when all the while God says, you're already my masterpiece. Let's act like it. Let's act like it. I watched a video this week of some guys who put on a skit about this passage. and It was kind of funny a lot of cheesy, but kind of funny. And there's one point where the guy says to the other one, the guy who's pretending to be God, and he's chiseling away at the man who is God's workmanship, the guy who's pretending to be God. He says, you're good, so go be good. 
We, we're good. That's who he's made us to be. He, he's already renewed us into the image of his son, Jesus. And so now he says, just go live that out. Just go, just go do that. Just go be that. So today, if I were to, to have a hope for us that, that we would walk away with something that could encourage us, it would be a couple things. One, to realize that we're all unique pieces of art in progress. Because we're all unique and in progress, this means that only God gets to determine our path of growth. Why do I say that? It's because there, there are many times that other people will come alongside you and they will try to tell you what you need to do to become more like Jesus. And sometimes this is helpful, and, and sometimes this is necessary. Sometimes God actually sends us those people. Most of the time, if God has sent us those people, those are already people that we trust. Those are already people that we, that we realize they, they have a, a degree of, uh, maybe they're a peer, or a, they have a degree of mentorship in our lives. In one way or another, they're already someone that we trust. That's usually how that works. But there will be people that you don't know that well who will come along and try to mold you and shape you after their image. Because so often what happens is when we get saved, when we become a follower of Jesus, what, when we change in many ways, we think instantly, oh, well, this is what happens when you become a Christian. This is why so many groups of Christians have so many difficult standards to live up to. It's like, well, when grandpa became a Christian, he stopped going to movies he stopped playing cards, and you know, if you play cards, that leads to going to movies. If you go to movies, that leads to dancing. And, and if, you, if you dance, you will have sex before marriage, and that leads to drinking, and that's the worst. And, and there, are, there are whole codes of holiness built around these ideas because of something that happened to one person. God wanted to deal with some things in, in groups of people at specific periods of time. And what, and what has happened is, is that, that the transformation that took place in their life, they codified it and said, now when you become a Christian, you look like us. Beware of those people. Beware of them. When you become a Christian, we are to look like Jesus. And, and he has an individual path of growth for each one of us. It doesn't look like mine. It doesn't look like yours. My number one sin that he wants to deal with in my life might be number 476 on your list. We've, we've each got our own path of growth because we're all unique pieces of art in progress. I also want us to remember that it is God's will and great purpose in our lives to sculpt and shape us. And so what this can do is to, to help us to have patience with life circumstances when they come our way. I'm not suggesting you pray for patience because we've already talked about what happens when that comes. But, but when, when things come our way, to learn to be patient, that, that, that we learn to say, God, you must be up to something. God, you, you must be doing something good in my life. Because the Bible would tell us that, that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that he works all things together for our good. 
It doesn't mean that all things that happen to us will be good. It means that he has a good purpose behind all of the things that happen to us. So when we realize that and understand it, we can have patience with life and even, as the Bible would say, give thanks in every circumstance. There are a lot of things that that I've gone through that I sure am not thankful for. Driving and Busy traffic, I'm not thankful for. Dealing with difficult people, I'm not thankful for. In every circumstance, the Bible says to give thanks. And when we realize that God has a a great purpose in all of our lives, that we can actually give thanks for that. As as I finish up today, in just a few moments, the band is going to return. And what they'll do is they'll sing another song to, to lead us into a few more moments of worship. And what that time is set apart for is for us to reflect, maybe on the things that I said today, uh, hopefully on the things that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you as I've been speaking. My hope is always that, that as I'm speaking, somehow he'll use my words to communicate a message to you that will help to mold and shape. And so when the band returns and does that, we'll have time to to consider and pray and worship and think. And, and I would like for us to do two things. I would like for us to ask God, how are you shaping me? What are you using to shape me? That, that we would ask God, well, what are those things that he's brought into our lives? What are those things that he's taking away What is he doing to shape me? Maybe we can even focus on a particular circumstance that we just can't let go of. You know that thing that's just gnawing at you? You think about it when you go to sleep. It's on your mind when you wake up. It's bothering you so much, and you don't even want to admit what kind of a problem it it really is to you, so you haven't even talked to anybody about it. Well, he knows about it. And and maybe our mind would go to that thing, and we would say, God, is this you using this thing to make me look more like your son Jesus and secondarily that we would pray and ask God to help us submit to his will that we wouldn't fight against him that that we wouldn't run away and that we wouldn't give up but that we would say Lord if if this is what you're wanting to do I'm gonna let you do it would you pray with me Lord would you show us the things you're using to shape us into the work of art that you've created us to be? Would you show us the the things that you're adding to and taking away from us so that we might be more submissive to your work and your will in our lives? Lord, would would you help us to be more submissive to your will? Would you help us not to run away from you? Would you help us to lean in when you're, when you're speaking to us, when you're, when you're sculpting our lives? Would you help us to say, Lord, whatever you want to do, my life is in your hands. You do whatever you want to, Lord, with my life. Lord, we thank you that your, your work in us, even though it can be painful, it's intentional and it's loving, and it's careful, and it's tender. And we submit to you and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. 
We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 